0: Well, I invite you this morning to turn to the book of Proverbs. And we will be in Proverbs chapter 3, beginning in verse 1 this morning on page... You'll find that in the Pew Bible on page 528. I do invite you, by the way, to have a copy of God's Word open today. Uh, As I routinely do, I I think it's good for us for two reasons. One, uh, a sermon uh, at the length in which I preach... You will find yourself help. it will be helpful to stay engaged if you have a copy of God's Word out. It will also be a reminder for you throughout this morning that what we are considering are not my words, but God's Word. And so, Proverbs chapter 3, I'm excited to be back in the pulpit. It's been three weeks since I have been here. Let's hope I still remember how to do this. Um, In fact, I, I feel like a loaded spring ready to go, so I hope you can... Listen quickly this morning, um, and I'll I'll do my best to uh, speak in a way in which we can understand. I'm happy to be here. You know, the Bible says, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm so excited for that peace that we have through our God, that we can even hear His Word. So listen now as we hear the Word of God. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. and Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof for the lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding for the gain of her is better than gold B- gain of her is better than the gain from silver and her profit better than gold she is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her long life is in her right hand in her left hand are riches and honor her w- ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion." And they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Our Father, we thank you now for your word. It is to us a great treasure. For it is how you have revealed yourself. And I believe it is your longing this morning, this July Sunday morning here in Hamilton, Virginia... To take these whom you have called out of this world to yourself, that you might reveal yourself to us through it. And so will you please in your kindness and grace to us, give us ears to hear your word and a heart to delight in it, that we might become wise, that we might become like Christ. For his glory we ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, recently I went backpacking with my children. As, as many of you know, we, we do this a couple times a year. And, and we were in May in the Great Smoky Mountains in North Carolina on a five-day trip. Uh, my four oldest kids and I and my father, we hike for 30 miles over five days. And one of the things that we always do when Daddy takes them on these long backpacking trips is we grab a book. And I'll read them the book while we're backpacking, or when we're taking a break on the trail, or having lunch by the creek, or around the campfire at night. And this, this time, we took Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. You know that story? An old pirate named Billy Bones, who shows up in a secluded lodge called the Admiral Benbow Inn. And there, uh, Billy Bones instructs the boy who's living there, a boy by the name of Jim Hawkins, to watch out for a one-legged seafaring man. Well, Jim is faithful and looking out for this man. He never shows up, but a visitor does show up. One with two legs. And even though he's blind, he he gives Billy Bones the black spot. Which means we have found you and we are coming for your treasure map. But Jim gets the treasure map first. And he runs off and finds some trustworthy men. And they decide to set sail for this island with treasure. This Treasure Island, and they, 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 Jim boards the ship and, and they, they set sail and he walks down below and just so happens to meet the cook who happens to have only one leg, a man named Long John Silver. Well, the rest of the story is all about sunken ships and crazy castaways and cannonballs and gunfights and mutiny and, and pray, pirate songs and talking parrots and all the rest. It was a, a great deal of fun to talk, work through this story with the kids. We had a great time. And by the way, if you, if you hear the pastor's kids singing yo-ho-ho ho, and a bottle of rum, right, uh, you, you'll, have, you'll have some context, right? That's not a, not a commentary on our home life. Um <laughs> So all, all of this in search of one thing, hidden treasure. In fact, we had a great discussion on, was it worth it? Right. Even if you get the treasure, what is, is this just greed? What is this? What is motivating them? But so there's something in us. This idea of hidden treasure kind of captivates us, doesn't it? There's something alluring about it. In fact, you, there's hidden treasure out in Flagstaff, Arizona, if you're interested In 1881, a stagecoach was robbed. Bandits stole four canvas bags of money. A few hours later, a large posse tracked them down to a log cabin, killed all four of the bandits, and not a dollar was found. We don't know where the money is. The government searched for 30 years for it and never found it. So it's out there somewhere. Of course, not all treasure remains hidden. Recently in the Middle East, Someone found 62 pounds of ancient handcrafted silver jewelry in clay jars, not buried, by the way, in some remote desert, but 18 inches under their living room floor, waiting to be discovered for 1,500 years. Could you imagine uh, living so close to buried treasure? One author actually does imagine it. He says Imagine that you purchase an old fixer upper one Saturday morning as you're cleaning out the attic of your home. You discover an old sheet of paper, yellowed and brittled with age. The faded words buried treasure catch your attention. Your heart begins to beat fast as you rush downstairs to the kitchen counter where you get out a magnifying glass. You read the note which says, For some time now my grown children have given me the impression they want their inheritance and would really like to be rid of me. Therefore I have decided to bury my wealth for some future owner of this humble home. You will find a little more than $1 million in cash and gold coins buried in a small safe in the backyard. Locate the exact middle point of the back property line, walk three paces towards the house, and you will find buried two feet down the safe. I hope you enjoy your inheritance. What would you do if you write a note like that? Would you just crumble it up and throw it away? Would you say, well, I wonder what's on television? Would you go to your neighbor and say, hey, listen, I found this. I don't have time to look into this, but you're you're more welcome. Of course not. Right? You would lock the doors, pull the blinds, grab a shovel, wait till midnight, and go looking for hidden treasure. I would suggest to you this morning, based upon the authority of the very word of God. That no matter how great it would be to find millions in flagstaff or silver under your home or treasure out back, there is something far greater available to you. It is called wisdom. In chapter 3 and verse 13 of the book of Proverbs we read, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver and her profit than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. In fact, it is throughout the book of Proverbs that wisdom and wealth are constantly compared with wisdom always coming out on top. Wisdom is better than gold. Understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. Proverbs 16, verse 16. And we read these passages and it's somewhat shocking to us because many of us believe either uh, um, overtly or even uh, perhaps subtly that if we get some more wealth then our problems will go away. And, and we have desire for wealth. And we have desire for, for things like new cars and new phones and new clothes and dozen other things. And not, these desires aren't necessarily bad, but I wonder when you have them and you begin to think about them and contemplate them, if you would ask, do I desire wisdom as much as this? I think the effort that we spend in accumulating things, that, 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 things that have no comparison with wisdom, Nothing you desire can compare to her, Proverbs three, verse fifteen. All that you desire cannot compare to her, Proverbs eight, verse eleven. Do you seek wisdom, my brothers and sisters in Christ, with an intensity worthy of the value in which she is given by our scriptures? We begin this summer study in the book of Proverbs was three weeks ago. Um, I don't know if you remember how we define wisdom. In fact, we didn't do it. We pulled it from a man named Gerhard von Rad. I think it's very helpful. Wisdom is the righteous competency with life's reality. It's being competent with how life works. Righteously competent. Wisdom is knowing how things really are and what we should do about it. Especially when the rules do not apply in our life, which is often, right? Life is complicated. Please do not be tempted just to always give the simple Sunday school answer to complex situations in life. It's not that simple. My family, for instance, is is praying and considering about whether we want to open our home to foster children or even to adopting. We are aware that there are children all around us that, that need a family, that want a family, and we think, well, we have one of those We have a family. Let's bring them into our family. But then it's not so easy, is it? Because we have seven other of those. And they keep us busy. Right, we got baseball and gym and dance and school and co-ops and ministry and and friends and I'm always going this way and Allegra's going that way. As a couple of weeks ago, Allegra sent me an email in the morning and said, "Okay, Anna's going to be at dance rehearsal at this time. When you're at the funeral, Saya will be watching the, the children and, and, and you need to be home so Saya can be at baseball practice by six. And please pick up some dog food on the way. I'm taking the kids to community group. They're going to go fishing in the Shrefflers' pond. Where are the fishing poles? We'll all re re. Convene at home at nine. Right? That's just, that's our life. The other day I walked in the house and there's a woman in my house and I, I said, uh, Excuse me, hi, I'm Stephen. And she says, I know, I'm your wife, right? It's good to see you again. And so we're, we're busy. I mean, you're busy, right? And, and and, and, and there, there's part of me that says there's these people that children need a home. Let's, let's go get like 10 of them and bring them into our home. And Allegra says, and then you leave for work in the morning. Is that right? And he's so, like, yeah, that's, that's how it works. And then, of course, not just busy, but, you know, it's you invite kids with troubled background into your home. You introduce your, the kids already in your home to sin that they might not understand or even harm, potentially. You see, my, my point is you could be moral You could do a good thing unwisely, and it actually becomes a bad thing. You could be a moral fool. We need wisdom. We need it. It promises us so much. Consider, first of all, this morning that wisdom is a prize. It's pretty much any place in the book of Proverbs that you could make this argument that wisdom is a prize. It holds out promises. But just consider here briefly in chapter 3 when verse 1 says, My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. I don't know, my friends, if you're interested in a long and peaceful life, but that is what wisdom will bring. Verse 4, we read, So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Do you want a successful life where both God and others think highly of you? That is a prize of wisdom. Verse six says, "In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do you want a life with little trouble? You want a life where sin and folly are moved from you? Then seek wisdom. Verse eight. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Would you like physical health and refreshment? Seek wisdom. Verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats bursting with wine. But right, you could start a TV ministry with that verse. Financial abundance. I and mean, we keep going on and on. This is throughout the book of Proverbs. Chapter 8 says, He who finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who misses me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Right? Wisdom is a matter of life and death. The Bible tells us. And, and, and when we're considering these passages, I mean, I would encourage you just to spend some time this week. Maybe husbands, you could get with your wives and husbands, you could read your wives some passages in the book of Proverbs. And if, if you would do that and you would just take note of the promise after promise in which wisdom holds out to you, it, it will astonish you. It has astonished me. In fact, I consider all that wisdom offers us the prize of wisdom. And it sounds a lot like Eden to me. Like returning back to Eden. Security, life, grace, strength, beauty, walking, whether you're waking or sleeping, taken into God's confidence and protection. It's like Eden is being held out to us once again. It's so much better than buried treasure. That's why we see in chapter 4 and verse 7, I love this verse, the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Look at verse 8. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Prize her. Love her. The Bible says embrace her. Cherish her. She is a prize. Wisdom is a prize. And so we may ask, okay, well, why does wisdom bring such blessings with her? Well, the reason she does is that wisdom is the pattern to this world. It's how this world re- Works. Wisdom is the way in which reality operates. Consider, secondly, that wisdom is a pattern. We see this, I think, in verse 19. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. You see what he's saying? He, he's saying that, that God created the world by wisdom, God created according to wisdom and you might think okay well, well big deal what's the what's the big deal about that it was actually unheard of in ancient cultures you know every ancient culture almost every ancient culture without fail has a story of creation has a story of how we got to the point where we are and it's interesting you survey the ancient stories the origin stories of ancient cultures regardless of where they were on this earth and they they they're all incredibly similar They all explain that creation was a product of a power struggle, some divine fight. Some some, some god killed this god in the aftermath. The, the dead god's body sprouted out and became the world. And it's story after story like this of, of this divine uh, upheaval in heaven. And the byproduct was the creation of this world in which we live, right? And the biblical account comes along and it alone, as far as I understand, says creation is not the result of a divine fight, but the, the result of a divine self-controlled act of wisdom. In fact, even consider our culture, right? American 21st century culture has an origin story. And, and it's not, we, we, we teach in our universities and our public schools that we get this world not by a divine fight, but by a random act of chaos, right? In, in that sense, it's not that much different than You see the similarities between how we understand the world got to be here today and how they described it back in the ancient days, right? Creation was not intended, but by the product of a random, chaotic, and destructive power. Whether that be some bang uh, billions of years ago or some God fighting another God, and the biblical accountant says, "Wait, I have a different suggestion that this wasn 't random, this wasn 't destructive, it was all done by wisdom. Keep your finger here in chapter three and turn over to Proverbs chapter eight. Proverbs eight is perhaps my favorite, favorite chapter of in the book of Proverbs. I'll show you verse twenty seven When he established the heavens, I was there. That's wisdom speaking. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was his daily delight, Rejoicing before him always. Rejoicing in his inhabited world. And delighting in the children of men. You see what he's saying? In overwhelming joy, God created the world to be a place of beauty and order and delight and peace. And he did it all by wisdom. Wisdom says, I was there when the Lord made everything. Wisdom says, I was at His side. I was like a master workman. This world has been created by wisdom. You see, wisdom is built into the very fabric and the pattern of how this world operates. God created by wisdom and the, the world continues to run according to the wisdom of God. If you find yourself back in chapter 3 and verse 20, he says, by his knowledge, the deeps broke open. That's past tense. That's what happened back in creation. But read on in verse 20. And the clouds drop down the dew. This is present tense. So the, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon says, by wisdom of God, rain comes. The, the dew drops. I like how Pastor John Piper, who imagined a conversation with, with God and how God causes causes this rain, how God does this here in verse 20, the clouds dropping down their rain. He says, picture yourself as a farmer in the near east, far from any lake or stream. A few wells keep the family and animals supplied with water, but if the crops are to grow and the family is to be fed from month to month, water has to come on the fields from another source. From where? Well, the sky. The sky. Water will come out of the clear blue sky? Well, not exactly. Water will have to be carried in the sky from the Mediterranean Sea over several hundred miles and then be poured out from the sky onto the field. Carried? How much does it weigh? Well, if one inch of rain falls on one square mile of farmland, that would be 27,878,400 cubic feet of water, which is gallons of water, which is 1,650,501,280 pounds of water. That's heavy. So how how does it get in the sky and stay up there if it's so heavy? Well, it gets up there by evaporation. What does that mean? It means that water sort of stops being water for a while so it can go up and not down. I see. Well, then how does it go down? Well, condensation happens. What's that? Well, water starts becoming water again by gathering around little dust particles between .0001 and .001 centimeters wide. That's small. Well, what about salt? Yes, the the Mediterranean Sea is salt water. That would kill the crops. So what about salt? Well, the, the salt has to be taken out. Oh. So the sky picks up a billion pounds of water from the sea and takes out the salt and then carries it 300 miles and then dumps it on the farm? Well, it doesn't dump it. If it dumped a billion pounds of water on a farm, the wheat would be crushed. So the sky dribbles the billion pounds of water down in little drops. Well, how do all these microscopic specks of water that weigh a billion pounds get heavy enough to fall? Well, it's called coalescence. What was that? It means that specks of water start bumping into each other and join up and get bigger. And when they are big enough, they fall. Just like that? Well, not exactly. Because they would just bounce off each other instead of joining up if there was no electric field present. What? Never mind. (laughs) Take my word for it. You see this here. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds... Drop down the dew. By wisdom, God created the world. And by wisdom, God runs the world. There's a pattern in this world called wisdom. In other words, wisdom is how things work. Wisdom is the fabric of the universe. We see this in the physical world, whether it be rain or gravity. You try to violate gravity, the pattern in this world. You end up getting hurt, right? You, 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 uh, you, you eat ice cream and burgers and, and pizza, right? You're the three food groups. Right, if that's what you eat, Right, you will hurt yourself. You are violating the fabric of the world. In fact, you'll need more fabric after a while. Um, right? so the Bible says a man without self-control is like a city broken in and left without walls. There's an emotional pattern to this world. book of Proverbs says a joyful heart is like medicine, but a broken spirit makes one sick. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Proverbs 14, verse 30. You so see what he's saying? He's, he's letting us in on how, how we work emotionally. There's a relational pattern in this world. And if you don't live according to the, the relational pattern in this world, your relationships will crash and destroy. For instance, in Proverbs 15, verse 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There's a spiritual pattern to this world. Proverbs 3, verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Right? You know this. And do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways. And He will make your path straight. We're made to trust God. We're made not to be in control. And what do we do? We reject that pattern. And we try to be in control. And life gets messed up. In other words, if you gain wisdom, you gain an understanding of how the world actually works. Wisdom is wired into reality. Therefore, it is foolishness, isn't it? To fight against reality. You go against reality, you get pain. You go against reality, you get broken. I mean, just turn on the news. Just turn on the news. You to see folly throughout this country. Folly throughout this world. Going against the pattern in which God has put in, you gain wisdom. You begin to understand how life works. You gain competency in how life works. Wisdom is... Is key. Therefore, wisdom is not some handy tools. Wisdom is not some supplement that you add to your spirituality. It's, it's how life works. And so maybe you might be thinking, okay, I, I, I see, I, I'm understanding this. Wisdom is, is, is a prize, it has all these promises, it's the pattern in this world. I want it. I want wisdom. How do I get it? Right? I got my pen in my hand. I need three easy steps, right? And how to get wisdom. Well, I'm afraid it's not so easy. You see, thirdly, wisdom is a path. Wisdom is a path. In chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Life is a path. And if we're wise, we walk on the path of wisdom, life goes well. This is a metaphor, by the way, life being a path, a journey, a way that the Bible uses throughout, especially in the book of Proverbs. For instance, turn to chapter 4, look at verse 11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. See, wisdom is a way, it's a path. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered, and if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. See, the wicked has a path. And do not walk in the way of evil. Look at verse 18 of chapter 4. But the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know over what they stumble. You see, what the, the Solomon's t- teaching us is that we're all on a path. Life is a journey. And, and we're either on the path f- for wisdom or the path for foolishness. Path of righteousness or the path of wickedness. And, and every day we are moving towards one or the other. Every day we're becoming wiser or every day we're becoming more foolish. Every day our character is being formed as we walk down this path. Now, how do you get down a path? Do you somersault down a path? Do, do you leap down a path? Do you run down a path? Well, Not if you want to get very far. You Eventually stop running. You have to walk down the path, step after step after step. And Tim Keller, I think, is so helpful when he says, life is determined not by the dramatic events in our lives, but by the daily repeated action over years. Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. I, w- I was once uh, backpacking the Sierras and I was climbing Mount Whitney um, and I, I came across a woman who was, who was struggling and she was panicking a little bit and she was on the w- side of Mount Whitney where you either have to go over Mount Whitney or you turn around and hike for five days. And she didn't think she could do it. Mount Whitney is the highest peak in the 48 continuous states. And, and so I, I saw her struggling and I said, well, well don't, don't worry about the peak. Can you take a step? Can you put your right foot in front of your left? And can you do that again? And so we did that, we hiked for a little bit, and we just thought about the next step. And and before you know it, she made it over the peak. That's what life is like. It's not the dramatic events. It's the daily repeated action that determine who you are, determine who you will be. There, There are no quick fixes. Right? It's, it's little things every day. Wisdom's a path. It's a long, patient journey towards wisdom. Wisdom is gained through daily, repeated actions. Now, the problem is we don't want a path. We want a door. Right? We want to open the door, walk on in, and bam, I'm wise. Right? We want a technique, don't we? That's what the world is always after, a technique. We want a pill we could take. We want three steps to handle trouble and five lessons to deal with stress and the seven secrets of success. And, and Christians want this too. We, we, we want, we want a technique, right? And, and if, listen, if you have a big decision to make, right? You, 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 have, you, you know, who to marry or should I move the family? Uh-huh. Should I take this job? What school should I go to? You have a big decision. What do you want to know? Right? All of us, we want to know what's the will of God. Right, don't we? What does God want? Well, how do we find that out? Well, so often, I don't know, I, I've heard many people say, well, I'm going to pray, pray about it, right? And I'll pray about this option, I'll pray about this option. And whichever option I feel peace about, that's the option. Well, that's clearly got to be God's will. I feel peace about this. This must be God's will. Or or we may, we may ask God for a sign, right? Uh, if she wears red tonight, I'm going to marry her, right? right? Or, or we, we want God to give us a word, right? And so what do we do, okay, well, um, all right, Lord, um, I need a word. I don't know what to do. And so, so please guide me. And we, you know, we open the Bible, and what do we do? We put our finger down, and we read, Judas went out and hanged himself, right? <laughs> Well, that, no, of course, that doesn't apply. So we, will well, give God another chance, and so we we pray, and we we open the Bible, and we God guide my finger, and we we put our finger down, and He says, "You go and do likewise." <laughs> well, okay. Well, that doesn't that well. That's just a coincidence, right? And so, uh, and we oh, okay, God, seriously now, I need a word, and, and we open it, and it says, Wh- "Whatever you will do, do quickly," right? <laughs> okay, okay, and and uh, you know we we want. Right, what we want it, we 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 want technique. Now listen, this has been. uh, Bear with me for a second. You you don't need peace. You don't need a sign. You don't need a verse. You need wisdom. Right, right. What, What if we actually? Considered the situation and then used the brains in which God has given us and He's trained over the years through wisdom. And what if we asked other people and took their counsel in, other wise people, and we made decisions? And now you're thinking, wait a second, Pastor, I'm just trying to be spiritual here. Right? I'm seeking God. I'm praying about, I'm not saying don't pray about it, by the way, but I, I, you know, what God's gonna give me peace. And I say, you're not, no, you're not being spiritual. You're looking for a technique. You want God to be a magic eight ball. You just want to shake him and give me the answer. That's not how it works. It, 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 you're trying to make a decision without wisdom, right? And we need wisdom, and and you don't get it through these through easy steps. Wisdom's not a technique. It's not a path. It's not a door. It's a path. You discern God's will by becoming a wise person. Romans twelve two. Do you know that verse? Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, daily renewal of your mind. Then you will know the will of God. Right? It is by accumulating wisdom, years of training, counsel, study, prayer, suffering, being corrected. And over the years, you'll become prudent and insightful. You'll be able to see, well, if I do this, then this will happen, and then this might happen, right? And, And this is what I want for my family, right? That's how God guides us. Over years of walking with him and accumulating wisdom, okay, it's its a path. You say, okay, well, well, what are what is the da- what is the path of wisdom? What are the daily repeated right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot steps to become wise? Now, the book of Proverbs is full of that. And we go anywhere in the book of Proverbs. Just this will just in Proverbs three. So we'll consider this. Consider fourthly the processes of wisdom. Um, wisdom is a process Or maybe better, the practices of wisdom How do, how do I become wise? Well, so first 1 tells us well, You need to know God's word My son, do not forget my teaching But let your heart keep my commandments For lengths of day and years of life And peace they will add to you So you see the father saying to the son Pay attention to me, listen to me Listen to what I say And, and your life will be changed You'll find peace, you'll find, you'll find purpose Wisdom is found in knowing and in keeping God's word. Psalm 19:7: "The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise, making the simple wise." Paul wrote to Timothy, "You have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom to equip you in every area of life." Isn't that extraordinary. Wisdom is about the reality of life. And the sacred writings of Scripture begin to equip us to handle life. It doesn't mean you get a verse for every situation. It means you're shaped by the Word of God. I, I sometimes meet some, some people who, you know, they, they, they're struggling with their daily devotional time with the Lord, and they say, well, you know, I'm, I'm reading the Bible, and I'm not, I'm not getting anything out of it. right? I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. There's, you know, we, we read it and say, okay, what am I supposed to do today because of it? And that's a good question to ask, but sometimes we don't get something like that. And so we, get, we grow in despair. It's like, well, it's, it's not doing anything. And I would say to the contrary. It is doing far more than you realize. It is shaping you. It is changing you. This is why you, you need to be devoted to sitting under God's the preaching of God's word on a weekly basis over years. It will shape you. It will change you. I, 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 want, I was heavily influenced by my youth pastor. I, I, I um, began to, to come to church when I was 17 years old and spent two years trying to learn as much of Scripture as I could from my youth pastor. And, and uh, he, he was a great blessing to me. His name's David. And I, I met up with David a number of years after I got out of youth. And I, and I, I was having coffee with David. And I said, I said, David, I can't remember a single thing you taught me. Right? It's true. I've been here for three and a half years. I say, well, what are some things I taught you? you? You may have difficulty coming up with anything. But I said, David, I know when I left, I was so much more like Jesus than when I began. I was so much more in love with God than when I began. And God did that through you. Right? See, the Word shapes us. It, it changes us. And the daily, left foot, right foot, left foot, have a massive impact on your life. Know God's Word. Well, that's one way to to grow in wisdom. Uh, Another way, you want to walk the path of wisdom? Know God's love. Look in verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Know God's love. Look at that. In verse 3, he's not saying be a loving and faithful person. He's saying don't let go of love and faithfulness. That's God's love and faithfulness in which he's referring to. God is continually described like this. His steadfast love and faithfulness. His hesed, Very important Jewish word. His faithfulness to us. And and what are we to do with this? Don't let go of God's love and faithfulness. Bind them around your neck, he says. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Listen, it's not enough to simply believe that God loves you. You need to wear it around your neck. You need to write God's love on your heart. Jonathan Edwards said there's an infinite difference between knowing honey is sweet and tasting its sweetness. There is an infinite difference between believing God is loving and faithful and living by it and experiencing it. But you want to be wise? right on your heart every day that God is totally committed to you. That God unconditionally and without fail loves you. That will make you a wise person. That will give you poise, stability. I've been studying this book over and over again. And you know how much foolishness comes from rashness. Right? Just, just getting freaked out about a certain situation and, and making a decision and saying a word and doing an act or like writing a letter, right? In the middle of, of this, of this, uh, uh, when you're freaking out over something, when something's troubling you and you just respond to it, you don't usually get wisdom out of that. Right? If you know God's love, you will be buffeted. You'll have strength and poise. You'll you'll be on this path to wisdom, even in trouble. You need to write His love upon your heart, and then hardship comes, and it doesn't knock you on your on your backside, right? You'll be stable, which is, by the way, why, one of the hundred reasons why wisdom is so much better than money. I and mean, what can money do? Maybe give you nice things, give you wonderful circumstances for a while. What would you rather have? Wonderful circumstances or the ability? To flourish despite the circumstances—that's what wisdom gives you. It says, put this truth in your heart every day. Remind yourself every day what He's done for you. He loves you. He's faithful. He's going to keep His promises every day. Pray to Him, God. I, I praise You for that. Write it on your heart. Wear it around your neck. Know God's word. Know God's love. Well, how else? Well, right foot, left foot. What do I do? Submit to God. Submit to God. Is that what verse five says? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Right? You, one of the first verses I memorized. You probably have this, this beautiful verse, right? And you, you, you imagine it on a greeting card, right? And there's the garden fence and the stained glass window, and it's, it's very heartwarming. I, I would suggest you was far more radical than that. It, it is a call to submit. Trust in the Lord with, what? with all your heart. What he's saying is possible to believe in God and then give the ultimate trust of your heart to something else. right? I believe in God, but I trust money for my security. I I believe in God, but I trust my family or my spouse for my happiness. I believe in God, but I trust my career for the nice sense of value and worth. He says, no, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Lean on God's understanding. Right? I, I don't know. Sometimes I get off notes and I get nervous, but uh, I'll go anywhere. Sometimes I don't always like what the Bible says. Um, and I don't know if that's startling to you. I don't know if you ever had that experience. Sometimes I'm troubled by it. Can I say that? Sometimes I, I read the Bible and I say, I'm not sure how that's good. No, I don't get that. I think other people think that Sometimes. You know, some you know people. Uh, but I love her. You know, why 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 is this relationship off limits? For instance, we might say, why why does God say I, because she's not a Christian? I, I I therefore am sinning if I'm in a relationship with her. If I if I marry her, I, you know that doesn't make sense to me. God, lean not on your own understanding. It's not about whether it makes sense to you or me. You and I need to submit to God's understanding. And we so often want to make, want God to make us feel better about the decisions in which we have already made. Come put your stamp of approval upon us without having to submit to Him. He says, let God's understanding, Trump, your understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, every step of your life. Acknowledge you're my Lord. I'm living for you. I I want to please you. I'm seeking you, right? And you will be on the path of wisdom. Know God's Word, know God's love, submit to God. I mean, we just go on. Live in community. Look at verse seven. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The, don't be wise in your own eyes. In other words, listen to other people. The fool doesn't need advice, right? He doesn't need counsel. He already knows. It's the wise person who's unsure of his wisdom and seeks the counsel of others who, who gets different perspectives. Right? So th- something's happening in this room right now, right? And we're, we're at what we call worship service, and I'm preaching and you're sitting, some of you uh, listening and, and, and so forth. Um, and, 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 and so this is happening here. But, but from where you sit, you see certain things, don't you? Uh, you, you, you see perhaps who's taking notes. Uh, you, you, you see the back of people's heads, right? You, you, uh, you see me, for instance. And then I, I have a different... I, I see the balcony, though I rarely look up there. That's why you all sit up there, isn't it? Right? <laughs> You don't, so you don't see the balcony, or you in the balcony, you don't see those. I, I see who's sleeping, right? Um, right. I, I have, I have, I have a different perspective. It's all one. It's all the same thing that's happening here, right? There's just one thing that's happening here. But I see things you don't see, and you see things I don't see, and we all see different aspects of of the same thing from different perspectives, right? It, 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 the wise person wants to see life from all as many perspectives as he, as he can. Wise people have other people that they discuss these questions with. The fool decides by himself. And this, of course, is odd in our culture because we live in probably the most individualistic culture in the world and we say things like, it's my life, I'll do what I want to do. And it is your life, of course. But you can't see it. Right? I can't even see me now. You see me, I can't see me. I can not see my life. I can't see all of it. You see it from different perspectives. You can't see yourself. It's only by being deeply in community where others know you that you will become wise. Well, one more, how about? Um, jump down to verse 11. Another, right foot, left foot. How do I accumulate wisdom? Know God's word, know God's love, submit to God, live in community. Last one, learn from suffering. Look in verse Verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of His reproof, for the fear for the Lord reproves him whom He loves, as a father the son in whom He delights. Now, what's interesting about this verse is we started this sermon with all these promises of wisdom. All the wisdom is a prize. Remember that, right? So, verse two, peace, right? Prosperity. Verse four, good name. Verse six. It will give you an easier life. Verse 8, wisdom will give you physical health. Verse 10, wisdom will help you have material abundance, right? Promise after promise. Live according to wisdom and life will go well. Live according to the pattern of this world and, and life will be easy for you. And that—that that is generally true. But then you get to verse 11 and it's a surprise. He says, by the way, life will also be hard. Even if you're wise. Right? The, in fact, the hard parts of life is part of learning wisdom. It's part of getting more wisdom. He says the father disciplines the child, doesn't he? In other words, the father brings painful things into the child's life. The father brings hard things, difficult things. The father does things in the child's life that makes the child cry. You, you could be at the pinnacle of wisdom and still have times of difficulty, as many of you know. And how you respond to the discipline, the difficulty, the hardship will have effect upon you whether you become even more wise or more foolish. Right? The foolish child runs away from the father during these times. The foolish child hides under the bed. It's the wise child that does not get bitter or resentful. It's the wise child that uses the hardship to drive them back into the arms of the father. Wisdom not only in other words, wisdom not only helps you keep away from suffering, it does that, but it also transforms suffering into more wisdom. Now someone acquainted with suffering is a woman by the name of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you know Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband uh, was martyred, uh, newly married five years maybe, and husband was killed as a missionary and so forth, and other difficulties in her life. She, was, she tells a story of visiting a friend who owned a sheep farm, and the, the sheep would get infected with parasites and insects. And so once a year, the shepherd would take uh, the sheep and submerge the sheep in this huge vat of antiseptic. And she writes about this. She says, one by one, John sees the animals. They would struggle to climb out, and Mac, the sheepdog, would snarl and snap at their faces to force them back under. When they tried to climb the ramp in a panicky way at the far end, John the farmer would catch them, spin them around, force them under again, holding them, ears, eyes, and nose submerged for a few seconds. As their lord and master was pushing their head under, drowning them, at least as far as they could tell, their panicky little eyes would look up over the edge of the vat, and it was easy to see what they were thinking Why is he doing this? Reflecting on that experience, Elliot concludes, I've had some experiences in my life which have made me feel very sympathetic to those poor sheep. There are times I couldn't figure out any reason for the treatment I was getting from my shepherd whom I trusted. And like these sheep, I didn't have a hint of explanation." It is at those times that you, my friend, will have to decide: will I trust? Will I learn? Or will I resent and grow more foolish? You might say, well, how can I trust him? Well, look back in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 13. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, he says, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you can desire can compare to her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is like a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, and those who hold her fast are called blessed. You see how wisdom here is personified? Right? Her profit is better than gold. She, she is more precious than jewels. We see this in, uh, as I mentioned, beautifully. We already saw some of it in chapter eight, where God and wisdom are created the world together and wisdom speaking and wisdom saying, you know, I was with God when the mountains were made and I, I was with God when humans were created and I was, I was rejoicing when all this was taking place. And it's all beautiful and, and it's, it's very gripping poetry, isn't it? it? It's simply a rhetorical way to explain that God created the world by wisdom. It's poetry. But what if it's not just poetry? What if the wisdom of God was actually a person? A person you can know and love? And what if knowing him and loving him could make you wise? That, that what if he could be the ultimate counselor? What if he could be a, a, a wonderful counselor? And i would suggest to you, fifthly and briefly, that wisdom is a person. The Bible says in Colossians 2 and verse 3, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. When He taught, those who listened were astonished and said, Where does this man get this wisdom? Matthew 13 and verse 54. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 24, Jesus is the wisdom of God. Therefore, to get wisdom ultimately means to get Jesus, to come to Christ, for He is the one who has all the treasures of wisdom. You want to be wise? Begin with Christ. Right Chapter four, verse seven. The beginning of wisdom is this. What? Get wisdom," he says. Well, can we paraphrase that? Now in light of the New Testament, the beginning of wisdom is this: Get Jesus. Who is the wisdom of God? Seek Him. Trust Him. Watch Him. Listen to Him. Look at Him from the pages of Scripture. Speak to Him throughout your day. Let Him transform you. Wisdom is not ultimately found in a bunch of parables. Though they're incredibly helpful. But it's ultimately found in knowing Christ. And living for Christ. And learning from Christ. In fact, you want to know where wisdom is most profoundly seen? You simply out to cry on the mountain of Calvary and there pinned upon the cross you will lay hold of the Son of God and you will see wisdom at its pinnacle. Of course, it's kind of hard to see. Everyone else saw foolishness, right? Because the wise people don't get nailed to crosses. Who gets nailed to crosses? Fools. Right? Fools get punished. Fools get the lashings. The wise are not beaten. The wise are not arrested. Certainly, the wise are not crucified. Crucifixion is for fools. That's what everyone thought. And of course, they were right. Crucifixion is for fools. And Christ is on the cross because of. Foolishness but not his but ours. It's our foolishness. He he's paying your punishment. And that if you believe in Him, you you not only will begin to gain the wisdom, you'll be saved for all eternity. All your sins will be washed away by the payment which Christ has given on the cross and His resurrection three days later. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It is not by being a wise person, a godly person, a good person that will get you into heaven. It is only by bowing your knee to the crucified and resurrected Lord that He will wash away your sin and invite you into His family forever. And He offers you that right now. Be saved, He calls to you even now. Bow your knee to My Son. Make Him your King by faith. right? Because He's died for you. And my, my Christian brothers and sisters, you see Him there in your mind's eye in the heart of faith dying on the cross For a fool like you. You see him doing that? That will change your heart. That will change you. To the degree in which you see Him dying for your foolishness, to the degree in which you see yourself marching up to Calvary's hill to be nailed to the cross and the perfect Son of God walks in and says, even though you have sinned against me and rebelled against me and, 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 and hated me, I will take your place. Put me on the cross so that you can go free. To the degree you see Him doing that, that will move you beyond mere belief. That will cause the fear of the Lord to arise in your heart. And as we considered in our first week in Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is this, fear of the Lord. Not not afraid that He's going to hurt you, but you're afraid you're going to hurt Him. You love Him so much that you fear displeasing Him. You would do anything for Him. That is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs tells us, To love wisdom, to cherish wisdom, to embrace wisdom, to prize wisdom. It is not enough to study wisdom. You must be in love with wisdom. Do you know how? It is not by loving the book of Proverbs. It is not by loving a bunch of parables. It is by being in love with the Son of God who is the very wisdom of God. Give Him your heart that you might become wise. That you might bring Him honor our Father in Heaven. Christ is our wisdom. We want nothing apart from Jesus. We don't want to be wise apart from Christ. We simply don't want to know how this life works so we can have abundance and all the rest. We want Jesus. We want to be righteous in His eyes. And so help us. Oh, our hearts are so wayward and so distracted. Help us. Help us to love Christ. Help us to embrace Him every day. Right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot. Every day seeking Jesus that we might become wise. We pray for our friends here this morning, Father, who do not know Christ at all. It's not simply that their love is weak or wayward. There is no love for Him. While well, they may believe in Him, believe about Him at least, but Father, will you not, in your great kindness to them, cause them to be born again, that they might trust Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and that they may know Him and the love that He has for them. Do this for your glory and their great gain, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.